Welcome to Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're here to discuss the episode Nerve of Farscape. Yeah, this is episode 19 of season one. This episode was directed by Rowan Woods, who Mm -hmm. we've seen before. He's directed many episodes before. Uh, Most notably, for our purposes, I think, A Human Reaction. Mm. And this episode was written by... Richard Manning, who previously wrote Throne for a Loss. Oh, which one was that? That's the one where Rigel gets kidnapped. Oh, oh, with the really cool, uh, like, tentacle monster thing. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So while we've been going through season one, I have this book, that this, like, pop market book that was released between seasons one and two for fans. Yeah. Called uh, Farscape the Illustrated Companion. It's definitely the sort of thing you would see in a Goodwill about ten years after a show was canceled. Yes, yes. I um, I actually bought this one specifically at Powell's Used Books when we were getting ready to do the podcast, but I did own a few of these for various shows. Yeah. I just have to throw this out there, this completely random tangent. I had the one that they put out between seasons one and two of Friends. Wait, was it the unauthorized... Uh... I might have been on... I don't remember if it was... I, I don't remember if it was authorized or not. I don't think... As a teenager, that was a distinction that mattered to me. What I remember most is whoever wrote that book was obsessed with the joke from the one with the blackout where Chandler says gum would be perfection. Like, they made reference to that joke in, like, every single page because they just were obsessed with that joke. Uh, Did yours have a quiz at the back? Ooh, I don't remember. Maybe. Okay, because the one I had, it also, I feel like we might have had the same one. It was definitely written by, like, one woman. Like I said, the thing I remember most is they were obsessed with the gum would be perfection joke. (laughs) Poor Jill Goodacre. Oh, that episode is quite a thing. (laughs) But that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is I've never brought up this book, even though I've been kind of reading each episode description as we get to the episode, see if there's any tidbits in there that are worth sharing. Mm -hmm. But I actually want to read from the book for this episode. All right. There's a quote from Ben Browder. It's not sourced, so I don't know when he said this. Uh, Maybe they actually talked to him to write this book. But there's a quote from Ben Browder that says, I think that nerve is actually the calling card for the show. You're not changing the rules. You're not trying to fool the audience. You're not changing the show for the sake of change. It's just that the story leads you to a certain place and it's going to evolve from there. I don't think that this is a fair summary of Farscape because no one gets high in this episode. Well, it's not that it's a summary of Farscape. (laughs) Also... Is that true that no one gets high in this episode? I, mean, I guess that is tr- John gets strapped into the worst chair ever and oh, gets yeah, forced you get, to- you get John's you get John's weird uh disjointed memories in the Aurora chair. Yeah, but that's not Also, you have all of Stark whose mind has been completely destroyed by the Aurora chair. I wouldn't count either of those things as tripping, though. Well, not if we're talking in actual medical terms, but if we're talking about the kind of over-the-top acting that the actors do, then I feel like they're quite similar. 
I, I think it's different. I think it's different. No one gets high in this episode at all. Okay, but he's not saying it's a summary of the episode. He's saying it's the calling card of the episode. I know that I've been surprised as we're going through season one that we're so far and they haven't talked about the wormhole technology yet. I told you when we were watching A Human Reaction that this was the episode that really kicked off the plot of Farscape. Yes. And this is the episode where we learned that that last scene, the one where the lighting kind of made you nauseous at the end of A Human Reaction, mm -hmm. was actually false. That that was a false memory and that in actuality what happened is John was subconsciously given wormhole technology. The plot of Farscape from now until the Peacekeeper Wars is going to be various people, including John, trying to get the wormhole technology out of his subconscious. So it's Chuck. Okay, but this is way before Chuck. I, I know this Chuck, is way before Chuck. But, but I actually did think about the intercept where you were watching yeah. this episode. Yes, it's true. For those of you who don't know, Chuck is a comedy spy show in which a... Uh, from the early 2000s. From the early 2000s, in which a young slacker played by... Uh, I, Finn Rider. I, I was going <laughs> to say Shazam, which I hate because the character's Captain Marvel, but I get why they can't call him Captain Marvel. But anyway, uh, so Zachary Levi... Uh, is a loser who was college roommates with this, like, super spy technician guy who locked a secret, like, what would you call it? It's like this database on every illegal thing ever, just... Also every, like, secret technology. Yes. He locked it in his subconscious. So he basically has science premonitions and crime premonitions... It's basically a psychic show, except instead of the psychic flashes being magical, they're technological. Well, yeah, he's Cordelia and Angel, or Phoebe from Charmed. Yeah, he sees things that set off psychic flashes, except, you know, it's... Not psychic. Right, it's a computer in his brain. The Intercept. It's a really, really solid show until it's not. I really enjoyed that show, but it's one of those shows that we talked about earlier when we were talking about the seventh season of Once Upon a Time, where it had the perfect ending... And then it did one more season. Yeah, that's a real issue with a lot of shows. I mean, you were right about Once Upon a Time in that they kind of needed to do another season because they resolved Emma's character arc, but Emma wasn't really the main character by the end. Regina was, but the seventh season did a terrible job resolving it until the last couple of episodes. Well, Once Upon a Time didn't need a final season. Hmm. It needed that last episode, and then they, like, spun their wheels for the entire seventh season, getting to that last episode that had nothing to do with the season that had come before it. Well, I know we talked this to death at the time, but the weird thing is, you could legitimately go from the season six finale to the season seven finale and basically not have missed anything. Yeah, I mean, if you want to hear all of our thoughts, you can always go listen to our old podcast, <laughs> Welcome to Storybrooke. Although, apparently, a lot of the older episodes aren't on iTunes anymore? Or I never Apple understand podcasts. how iTunes works the way it like cuts them off or doesn't cut them off, but you can always go to our website, welcometotelevision.net, and get all just, of the episodes. Just dig through the archives to find the really early stuff. Yeah. iTunes is weird, and I feel like things just disappear and come back, and I don't know how to control it as a creator. I'm sure there's a way if mm. I... But... That's why I put the download link on our website. If you want to just download it straight from our website or just stream it from our website, either way, it's fine. <laughs> if you ever want to hear an old episode that for whatever reason you can't get on iTunes, you can always go to our website and get it. Apple Podcasts. Oh, did I say iTunes? Oops. <laughs> oh, it's one of those things where you're like, did this really need to get rebranded? No, it did not. Let's talk about Nerve. 
nerve. All right, so as a reminder, last episode, Aaron got stabbed. So I was I was kind of amused in like a dark way that this episode opens with Aaron like punching a heavy bag and you were like, didn't she get stabbed last episode? And John comes in and is like, weren't you just stabbed? Yes. And she's like, yeah, but I'm a sebation and we're, you know, better than humans in every way possible. I'm all healed. I can punch as many bags as I want. So what she actually says, because this is a very like... Technically the truth. She says, my muscles are completely healed. Mm. John says that he called her for dinner several times and she didn't respond. And she's like, I'm not hungry. I'm just going to punch this heavy bag forever. And John's like, well, you could have said, I'm not hungry instead of ignoring me when I called you and said dinner's ready. And then Aaron throws up blood because that is the way to win any argument. If somebody is harassing you for doing something that that they think was rude of you. Just throw up blood, and then they will stop. It's true. It's automatic win. Also, you can use it in any situation, and it's an automatic win. Yeah. Like, someone's being rude to you? Bleh. (laughs) Boss won't give you a promotion? Bleh. Yes. And then Aaron faints. And John's like, what the hell, Aaron? He's pretty honked off about the fact that she's dying. He also, when he leans down to pick her up, he says that she's ice cold. And... I'm sorry, I know this is a serious moment. This is a very serious moment, but Sebations can't get too hot. Mm. And I just thought about Futurama, that you're too cold or or too hot. I forget how it works with you, but either way, you're not exactly the right temperature. Yes, she's as cold as ice, willing to sacrifice her life. Yeah. Yes. John says he wants to get Zan, the closest thing we have to a doctor. Is she not a doctor? She feels at least doctor-esque. She's got healing spells, but, you know, she's... Well, and she's also a scientist. Yeah, yeah. She's not... I know it's not like Marvel where every doctor is every kind of doctor, but, I mean, I feel like we've seen her do medical stuff enough that it's in her ballywick. I mean, she... Okay, yeah, she definitely can do medical stuff, but she's not, you know, a doctor. But Aaron doesn't matter because Aaron doesn't want to see Zan. Aaron just wants to get in her prowler and go off and be alone and die like an elephant. That's what they do, right? Yeah, no. It's kind of a weird turn of phrase. So Die like an elephant. Yeah. Aaron knows that she's dying. She tells John that technically she was not lying. Her muscles are completely healed, but that the knife, when she was stabbed by Larocque, the knife nicked a nerve, and there's basically no cure, and she's essentially got 60 hours to live. There's basically no cure, except for the one cure. Okay, well, the only cure is to get a graft from a compatible sebation, and there are no sebations around them. They are... Days and days away from the closest colony. And she only has... 60 hours. 60 arms. Yes, 60 arms, or roughly 60 hours. And John's like, well, there's no sebation colonies nearby, but there is the gamic base that Larocque told us about that's only 20 arms away. Mm. And you're probably not gonna die in that time period. Well, she, she said 50 to 60 arms. Yes, I mean, it's an estimate. 
Yeah, you're not guaranteed. It's true. Yeah, it is funny the way on these shows when somebody gives a time period like that, that they are just estimating. Everyone else takes it as... This is the exact amount of time we have. Yeah. Theoretically, she could last a lot less time or a lot more time, you know? Yeah. So John goes to the rest of the crew and tells them his plan, which is to pretend to be a peacekeeper and infiltrate the gamut base. Wow, John. Just nothing could go wrong with that plan. They point out that he barely managed to keep one super exhausted guy fooled for an hour, let alone a whole base filled with peacekeepers. Yeah, and he's like, well, we can't just let Aaron die. And Shanna's like, I mean, can't is kind of a strong word. Actually, I feel like this is a really powerful scene because everyone else is genuinely upset. No one wants Aaron to die. Dargo says, John, I do not want Aaron to die, which I think is... Character development. It's growth from all peacekeepers are should be dead. And then beyond that to I want Aaron to live more than I want every peacekeeper to die. And now it's just flat out. No, Aaron is my shipmate. She is my warrior in arms. You know, hmm. my, my sister in arms. I do not want Aaron to die. But they all know that this, this is a terrible plan. Yeah. And, and it's a terrible plan. But it's also the best plan they have. So honestly, there's just nothing to be done. And John just stares them down with the force of his, no, this is what we're going to do until they all relent. Well, there is something to be done, but nobody's bringing it up because, you know, no one remembers what Moy is capable of. What? What is that? Freeze Aaron. Oh. Yeah, why don't they just freeze Aaron? Yeah, you'd think that would be the thing to do in this situation, right? Huh. Okay, wait, wait. No, no, no. That made sense last week because we knew that Rigel had already been frozen. But Aaron's got a whole different physiology. Maybe she can't be frozen. Is that a thing? Does the freezing only work on, uh... I'm not saying it only works on Rigel. I'm just saying the only person we've seen be successfully frozen is Rigel. True. Yeah. Okay, true. I was trying to think what happened on the Farm Planet episode. Plus, I will point out that Moya has been in labor for, like, a full episode. It feels like they forgot that she's in labor because they're like, is this going to cause any complications with Moya's pregnancy later in the episode? And it's like... I was in labor for 12 days. I assume that's Moya's situation right now. Yeah, but I mean, like, it feels weird talking about her being pregnant while she's in the process of labor. I mean, I guess you were still pregnant while you were in the process of labor, but... Yeah. It feels like you enter more of a transitional phase at that point. Well, okay, so I, I'm thinking about my own pregnancy where I was technically in labor for 12 days. Yes. But then the point where contractions started, you know, in earnest, I was there for like 12 hours. Mm. And as I was going to say, they do come up with a solution where Moya can help Aaron. And theoretically, the solution they come up with could have kept Aaron stable until they got to a sebation colony but moya starts having contractions and they're unable to maintain it because of the contractions could have shoved her in that in-between dimension with the uh, rainbow octopus puppet uh i think the rainbow octopus puppet would have killed her remember that was the whole thing that <laughs> rainbow octopus puppet didn't want people in its dimension fair 
Do we ever see that again? I really like that effect, but I, I'm guessing no. I don't, not that I remember. So everyone is going to go with John's terrible plan because they want Aaron to not die. Well, I mean, the, the options are terrible plan or Aaron nothing. Dies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, and I mean, we're kind of joking about what they could have done in the alternative, but I feel like this scene is really powerful where John is just like... Staring them down with the force of his raw desire that Aaron not die. I do like that he kind of confronts them one-on-one because it's easy to be part of a group that's like, this is a bad idea. But when you're talking one-on-one to someone who's like, tell me why you think that Aaron's life is worth, you know, not trying this plan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's easy for Rigel to say, look, as much as I want her to live, but he can't look John in the eye and say... We have to let her die. Hmm. So John is going to dress up like a peacekeeper, and he's going to slap on his terrible, terrible accent. Oh my God, I... like none of the other peacekeepers talk like that. What are you doing? Who are you imitating? Like, wh- I mean, I guess Aaron has a little bit of an accent, not but really, not like this. Yeah. Oh, chuff, chuff. Pip, pip, cheerio, I'm John, and I'm here to, I mean, I'm, I'm Spacey McSpice Pants, and I'm here to pick up some DNA, governor. Yeah, no, he's trying to sound like a British villain from, like, an American sci-fi show. It's, I. Real shades of Dick Van Dyke and Mary Poppins here. Well, except he's doing, like, the imperious British accent as opposed to, like, the Cockney British accent. Yes. Which Side note, every American thinks they can do and they cannot and it drives me crazy. I'm sorry, I just, your thing made me go straight to uh, Greg from Great News. You just think I'm the bad guy because they always give bad guys the British accents, even when they're Nazis. How is that fair? (laughs) I was thinking about the thing where Greg says that we only think he's smart because he has a British accent. (laughs) You know, the British accent does a lot of heavy lifting in American pop culture. Uh, God. Great News is a great show. It is. Killed before it's time. Yeah. I could have used another season or two of that show. Yeah. I do want to say, though, because you didn't like John's Peacekeeper outfit last week. I feel like it's less ugly this episode. It is de- It is definitely less ugly this week. And until you pointed out how ugly it was last week... I didn't even realize what was happening. Last week, he was wearing a Peacekeeper outfit that was on Moya, presumably from the crew that was there before they escaped. Mm. This week, he's wearing a Marauder outfit that they took off of one of the dead guys from last week. Oh, gross. But, yeah. But it's a different outfit, and it is better. It's not bright red. It's maroon. And it's like a vest instead of the big overcoat. Not to overload with the references, but it's kind of like uh, when... The Northern Water Tribe guy is trying to infiltrate the Fire Nation at the end of season one of Avatar The Last Airbender. Uh-huh. And Sokka points out that he's wearing a uniform from like a hundred years ago. Yes. I mean, it's also kind of like when Katara puts on the Fire Nation outfit and looks awesome. Because, you know, John puts on the Peacekeeper outfit and looks awesome. Eh. I- I'm sorry. I liked his... You know, this was the last thing I was wearing when I left Earth outfit more. Although, well, God, that had to just be so rank by that time. Unless You think he washes it every night? You think it would fall apart? 
Well, I mean, it's the future. I'm sure there's some future way of cleaning outfits that... Well, it's not the future. It's space. Right. It's space. I'm sure there's some space way of cleaning outfits that's spacely. You mean like a laundry version of the dentic? Yeah. Yeah. You, like, feed it to an animal and it, like, it's cleansed in their intestines and they, like, poop out clean clothes? Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's probably how Moya's laundry works. Yeah. Because Moya's a living ship. In Star Trek... A ship? A living ship? Exactly. In Star Trek, they just use the transporter and they just transport away anything that's not part of the outfit. How is that not somehow murdered a lot of people? Like, every other thing with the transporter. I... What episode of Star Trek were we watching where they just accidentally, casually killed two dudes with the transporter and Kirk's like, oh, well, it, w- it was the one with the, the evil children. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or the children were using mind powers to make them think that they were orbiting a planet, but they didn't. So they just. Tra- so they transported two guys down onto the surface of the planet, but they weren't there anymore. So they just transported them into the middle of space. Yeah, which you would think the transporter would like. Have a failsafe so that you can't do that? Yeah, but nope. And then Kirk was like, <laughs> Kirk had no reaction to they that. They literally never acknowledged those two guys died. It's really messy. Um, that's a problem with Star Trek in general, though. I mean, doesn't Kirk, like, kill somebody through, trans- through like, insisting on doing a transporter in one of the movies? In the though- very first movie. Yeah, it's like, oh, I don't know how to do this, but pff, how hard could it be if Scotty's the one doing it? And then, Well, at least, though, in that movie, he's called on it. Does he get in trouble, or is someone just like, oh, Kirk? Okay, so, so fake Riker is arguing with him that he can't do, you know, what he's, he can't do the maneuver he's trying to do because the risks are unacceptable. And Kirk's like, how do you define an unacceptable risk? And then they do it. And then there's like, I swear to God, like 20 minutes of special effects because that movie just drags with the special effects. And then fake Troy dies and fake Riker is like, that's how I define an unacceptable risk, Captain. And Kirk's like, what are you talking about? That conversation was like several, 20 minutes ago. <laughs> several days ago in universe. Yeah. What's going on on Farscape? Oh, right. The outfits. We were talking about the outfits. Yes. They're getting ready. Uh, John and Chiana are getting ready to infiltrate this uh, big honking base. Yeah. Chiana shows up when John is getting on the ship and is like, hey, um, just a thought. You might need a rogue with you. I know your plan is to go in there and bard it up, you know, with all of your... God, they better hope they don't get into a combat situation with just a bard and a rogue. (laughs) Right? Well, I mean, at this level. At higher levels, rogues' backstabs are... Yeah. Yeah, anyway. (laughs) Gianna's like, you need me because you need a rogue, which, yeah, they do. It's weird, too, because Gianna's like, why do you want to do this? And Chiana says that she wants to earn her keep on the ship, which John rightly calls out as bullshit, but she doesn't really give her real reason. Like, we as an audience also are not really given her real reason for wanting to do this, Hmm. which I just always assumed was... To steal stuff. To steal stuff. I mean, you'd think after what happened last episode, she'd be like, you know what, maybe I'm just not going to steal stuff for a little while, given the fact that, you know... It got a lot of people, like me opening that random box got a lot of people killed and also Aaron, you know, fatally wounded. 
Yeah, that's not Shiana's character. I wonder if she doesn't feel a little guilty about that. Oh, maybe. Also, they're doing this weird, like, sexual tension thing, Hmm. which I find especially jarring, given that later on their relationship is much more sibling-esque. It's much more big brother, little sister. So the, like, getting their faces super close like they're going to kiss, but they don't is weirded me out a little. Maybe it's like that Folgers Christmas incest commercial. Yes. Although I was actually thinking more like that episode of Community where they talk about how they're like a family so they would never screw and then they realize that none of them are related. Oh, you mean the bit where they're all looking across the table at other people? Yes. Uh, Speaking of Chiana being a rogue, she gives John Larocque's ident chip that she stole last week, which is good because remember he's like a secret op agent, so he has top security clearance for everything. And yet everyone looks down on what he does. That's why it was my world building thing last time. Yeah. So they're going to go to this big honkin' space base while everyone else watches Aaron die. Kind of depressing. Grim. Yeah. Wow. So Chiana's continuing to flirt with John. It's a little awkward. It's... I mean, she's, she's flirting with him because she's kind of teased flirting with him. The plan is for him to pretend to be LaRock and her to pretend to be, like, a courtesan that he has. Uh, uh, okay, so last week, the implication was that he had bought her, hmm. which is creepy. This week, the implication is that she is on salary, which is not creepy. That's fine. If that's if that's the way that she wanted to earn a living, that is totally acceptable. Yeah. A thing I do like, though, mm-hmm. about this is that for Sebations, Peacekeepers specifically, not Sebations, but for Peacekeepers specifically, you know, they're like super space racist. Yes. So procreating with other races is like verboten. It's the whole thing with Dargo is that he married a Peacekeeper woman. Yes. But because John's identity, because his fake identity is high enough placed in the military, it's kind of, like, acceptable that he's doing this. Well, high enough place and weirdly disreputable at the same time. Yeah. It's it's a weird little quirk of... Storytelling? I, I was going to say it's a weird little quirk of racism that feels true to life. Mm. Like, it's like, yeah, that is how racism works, isn't it? Yes. So Chiana points out that the base looks like a mining colony. Is is that going to be important? Or is that just like a flavor text thing? It's just like a flavor text thing. Like, it looks like an abandoned mining colony. It's, it's disguised in that way. Mm. And, of course, as they're flying in, John gets a call from the base asking to identify himself or get blown out of the air. He's pretending to be specifically Larock. Yeah. Instead of uh, I don't know, Joe Sebation, who he was pretending to be last episode. But he's doing the goddamn accent. So? I, I, I mean... Larock didn't have an accent. Nobody, nobody... I mean, nobody knows, but like, on the off chance that someone, like, met Larock once... You might want to try to, you know, not do something that immediately distinguish yourself as not LaRock. Oh, yeah, you're right. He heard LaRock. He should be talking like him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. You're definitely not wrong. And God, this accent is terrible to hear. But 
John is trying to, like, imperious his way through all of their defenses. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know who I am? And I think the accent helps him do that. Mm. And at this first checkpoint, it works. He's like, I refuse to identify myself. And if you're so hot and bothered to know who I am, you can scan my ident chip. I want to speak to your space manager. Yeah, yeah. John's going to carry his way onto this ship. So they get into the misty halls of... The Gamic base. The Gamic base. I feel like there's a real um, Star Wars feel here, especially when he's... The shot of the Prowler flying into the base and then the shots of the loading dock on the base both feel very first trilogy to me. There's a really good angle from far up as they're walking in. It's only a few seconds, but it's a really good scene setting uh, camera shot. Yeah, and it really like, it gives you the scope of this. And I feel like it also kind of gives you the difficulty level of what John is doing. We're not, we're not encountering four guys on our home set anymore. Now we're on this huge base filled with guys, any of whom might know LaRock personally. Well, the thing I like about it is that the composition of the shots draws to attention how big the base is while also making it feel really cramped. Yeah. There's not really a shot with John where he's not being compressed by scenery or by other people. So we get these wide shots that are showing, like, this is a bigger place, and all of these tight shots that are showing John is surrounded. That's a really good point. Yeah. John also does this thing uh, when he lands and he's surrounded and they ask him to scan his ident chip. He does this thing both times that he's asked for the ident chip in this episode where he holds his hand out and dangles the the ident chip is like on dog tags. Hmm. And he like dangles the dog tags from his fingers and makes them come up to him and take them without moving his hand. Hmm. It's a good bit of physicality from John that shows his imperiousness so much better than... That terrible accent. Yes, they verify the chip. I'm guessing there's not a picture at this point of verification on the chip. Yep. I think it's interesting that the chip has like several levels to it. Yeah, well, the base has several levels. Like they're in like the first security clearance level. Yeah, and they're like, okay, you're who you say you are. You're Varric. Varric? Laroque. You're Laroque. Who's that? And he's like, that's my personal assistant. She helps me out with personal matters. She assists my person. Yes. And Chiana's like, ooh, yeah, I'm a sexy cat. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. She basically manages to disarm all of these guys with her sexy cat shtick. So, you know. I just... When did people, is it because cats are, for some reason, feminine coded? When did people decide cats were the sexy animal? I don't know. I really would like to read a paper on that. I'm sure someone's written it, but that's a good question. Because I used to own a cat, and let me tell you, just, I don't see it. It's, it's weird. It's a weird (laughs) thing. Cats are not sexy animals. They're animals. I've, I've never thought to question why cats are the sexy animal. I, now, you made it weird. You made it really weird. 
I think Tom Hooper made it weird. Well, I mean, whew. but I, I, I guess that was the I guess that was the inevitable endpoint of us as a race making cats sexy. Yes, was 2019's Cats, of which apparently there is a cut where you can see their uh, posterior orifices. You know, I'm pretty sure that was a joke. Are you? Yeah, I'm like... Are you? I... You've seen clips from the movie. Are you sure that that's a joke? I, I... I was! I was sure! <laughs> so Chiana goes to uh, the bar, like the gamic forward bar, and uh, starts ordering drinks and getting all the boys to buy her drinks. Yes, she's really leaning hard into this, because... Sort of the weird sub-message of this episode is that you should have sex with as many people as possible in case they could help you later. Yeah, huh. Huh. So, yeah, Chiana is hitting on all of the Sebastian crewmen, and she's like, ooh, I hear that you keep a lot of peace. I hear that you're, you know, you've got a big peace keeper. I don't know. <laughs> all of her flirting sounds like it's out of, I don't know, Porn that was run through Google Translate a couple of times. Wow. Okay. Like, it It feels like it's sexy dialogue from someone who's had sexy dialogue described to them, you know, from the inside of a dryer. That's... Wow. Okay. So, um, I was going to say we're moving on to something that's not sexy, but I guess I should say we're moving on to something that's only sexy if you are into a very specialized kind of sexuality. Yeah, this is basically us saying goodbye to Captain What's-His-Bucket as the bad guy. Bylar Christ. Yeah, this is us saying goodbye to Christ as the main antagonist of the show, apparently, which is bizarre because he's been in, like, two episodes. I, again, until we were going through season one, I didn't realize how little we see him while he is actually the big bad. Yep. Yep, but now we are getting Scorpius. A.K.A. the S&M alien who's on the cover of all of the uh, DVDs. Yeah, well, I mean, Scorpius is... Yeah, he, that's... He and Chiana were, like, the only two things I knew about the show going in because they were always on the covers of the DVDs. Well, they're both pretty visually striking. Yeah. Scorpius is pale, this pale, I mean, you 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 know what he looks like, but he's this pale humanoid. He has this, like, leather outfit that looks like it's what's holding his body together, which it is, in a way. Mm. We'll get to that. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not subtle. It's not a subtle thing. It's very Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman, speaking of sexy cats. Yeah. Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman, like, by way of your nightmares. Why does a cat have a whip? It made more sense back- It's a cat of nine tails. It it made more sense back when it was a cat of nine tails. It just eventually transitioned into a whip. (laughs) And then you're like, okay, you have to go back a little for this to make sense. John calls Chiana over and is like, why are you trying to sleep with all the peacekeepers? He says that her acting like a trollop isn't part of the plan. And, and she's like, like archaic ass insult, dude. Well, it's it's the word that goes with the weird accent he's doing. And she's like, you know, there's a fair chance that we may need to screw our way out of this situation. Also, she points out that it literally is the plan since the plan was for her to create a distraction. 
Like, her going and seducing all of the guys while he takes care of business, yes, that's literally the plan. Or at least it was in her head. I don't know what he was thinking when he heard the word distraction, but Chiana was obviously thinking, go sleep with all of the peacekeepers. Yeah, she's basically going to stand on the cafeteria table and be like, hey, look at my space cat boobs. Well, it's that scene from 10 Things I Hate About You. Well, she's going to do the Aurora. Yes. But also she's going to do the Aurora fan dance, right? It's a classic. It's a classic sci-fi trope because boy, does this genre have issues with women. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, John wants to get on with saving Aaron. So he takes Chiana and they're going to go to the quarters that have been assigned to them. But... The quarters are in a higher security part of the base, and he can't get there without both showing his ident chip and putting his hand on the scanner for a DNA sample. <sighs> yeah. Hands have to be the worst part to get a DNA sample from. Well, I mean, it's like the peacekeeper tech. I'm sure they like just, I, I, I'm sure they like take just like a microscopic yeah. fleck or whatever. John tries to Karen his way out of this one, too, and he's like, who do you think you are to give me orders? And the guy's like, I think I'm the security officer, dude. I think it's, this is my one job. It's stupid, but it's the one thing the show writers gave me to do, and I'm going to do it. That's a Sigourney Weaver from Galaxy Quest reference. God, I love that movie. Galaxy Quest is a great movie. God, and she's so good in it. You should, yeah. I'm so sad they make her make out with uh, Tim Allen. Poor Sigourney Weaver. She could have made out with Alan Rickman. He's right there. He's also just excellent in that movie. She could have made out with Tony Shalhoub. Yeah. You know, everyone's really good in that movie, except Tim Allen. But, you know. I mean, they they he's they make him a pompous blowhard. Like he <laughs> It's the part he was born to play. Say what you will about Tim Allen, and I have on many, many occasions. But if you're casting someone to be William Shatner you could do worse than him. I don't know if that's meaner to Tim Allen or William Shatner. So, John, having no other option, puts his hand in the machine, and it somehow verifies him. Yep. So, wow. Uh, he and he, That was a freebie. He and Chiana both do a really good job of not acting surprised. They're both like... Okay, can we go now? Even though they both should be super shocked at what happened. Yeah, I mean, heck, Gianna's like, oh, good, now I can go to my quarters. <laughs> and the uh, the door guarding guy's like, yeah, okay, look, I get paid for one thing. It's opening and closing this door. Don't get paid to go have sex with random cat ladies. He does a very good job British guarding it. I like that Chiana does, like, the feminine labor of smoothing everything over by being like, oh, LaRock, he's just doing his job. Oh, I thought the, the fem- feminine labor was that weird lip thing she's doing, which did kind of draw, like, you see it a lot more later, but her lip makeup is amazing. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's always amazing, but yeah, she, yeah. I, I, I don't know what they did to her lips to make them look like all the, the kind of contoured gray lips that they have on her, on Gigi Edgley. It looks great. Agreed. So John and Chiana go past the checkpoint and somebody calls them into a room. It's the titular PK Tech Girl from the episode PK Tech Girl. Yep, yep. Johnny. Jelena. Er, Jenny Blondface. 
Yeah. As you were saying, you should have sex with as many people as you can in case it helps you later. Yeah. Because she saw John on board and was like, oh, I don't know what he's up to, but I better hack into the system and make it let him in. Like, John asked her, he's like, is Grace here? And she's like, no, I'm on a different assignment. And I'm like, wasn't Grace the one picking you up, though? Like, That was months ago. She's been transferred since then. But, like, if Grace picked her up, Grace is very much not in contact with the rest of the peacekeepers. He went rogue. He very notably went rogue. Oh, that's true. Like, how do you get transferred off a ship that's, you know, gone rogue? That is a great question. I do not have an answer for you. Okay. The important thing is that she's here and she's not working for Grace anymore. That is true. By the way, where is here? She brings John and Chiana into this, like, side room where she does all of her hacking. Apparently she's able to hack into every part of the system from this little room because you will recall peacekeepers don't really pay attention to techs. So she's probably able to get into everything. But, like, I don't know what this room is. There's, like, a computer console and a wet bar. I don't I don't know what room consists of a computer console and a wet bar. She has Ryan's office from the office. I guess. Oh, I, this is like the equivalent of like a Mad Men office. All right. Okay. <laughs> Maybe that's just a thing with peacekeepers. I, I remember uh, at my old job going like to corporate for some things sometimes and just being like, wow, there is alcohol like everywhere here. Yeah, most of the corporate jobs I've had, there's alcohol. It's just, it's really weird, because I'm pretty sure you'd get fired if you had alcohol, you know, at the non-corporate part of my job. Oh, (laughs) I I always think of my first job where um, a friend of mine stopped by, we were having lunch, Mm -hmm. and she had some beers in her car that she had made. Uh, She was... She was stopping for lunch on her way from where I was to somewhere else. So she wanted to keep the beer in the fridge before while well, we went to lunch. She was like, is it okay if I put this beer in here? Or And she opens the fridge and she's like, oh, it's already full of beer. It's a weird kind of corporate divide, isn't it, between management and labor? I guess it kind of is, yeah. Yeah. It's like in that episode of Bob's Burgers where they, they do their young entrepreneur thing and the... Actual workers don't have access to any of the perks, but management has that soda stream. We should watch that episode after this. I'm kind of in the mood for it now. All right. It's such a great episode. It is a great episode. I, I also am really amused now that I've realized that soda stream is the teen- is the teenager or the preteen equivalent of like a wet bar. Yeah. So John fills Jelena in on what's going on with Aaron about the whole being stabbed and needing a tissue sample thing. And Jelena says that she's going to go, she'll take the tissue, she'll go to the medic bay, she'll get a matching sample from, you know, the medic bay. John's like, no, it's too dangerous. Let me go. And Jelena's like, no, dumbass, I work on this ship. If I go, they won't ask me questions. The more you're out and about, the more likely you are to run into someone who knows Laroque or asks what ridiculous accent you're doing. Also, also, also... How would you know which, like, DNA matches this? Like, this feels like something you would need to be at least, you know, familiar with Sebastian stuff for, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
Honestly, I don't know what John's plan was if they didn't run into Jelena. Like, are you just, I guess you could just grab a bunch of tissue samples and hope one of them. I mean, John has a track record of managing to work alien tech pretty well. So I, I don't doubt his ability to do it. It's just, you're going to run into someone who knows that you're not LaRock. Yeah. Or is, is wondering why LaRock is going and doing all of this stuff. Or is half scarring and sees that you're not a sebation. Spoiler for later in this episode. Hmm. Meanwhile, on Moya. Erin is uh, in a bad way. Yes, she is lead-eyeing. She kind of hazily comes to and sees Rigel in her room. I like that she's wrapped in one of Zan's gold sheets. Mm-hmm, yeah. It's a nice little detail. I also like the sheet is like, it's the space futuristic gold sheet, but it looks enough like the trauma blankets that you can tell oh this is supposed to be keeping her very very warm she she calls out rigel that uh he's checking to see if she's dead so he can loot her and rigel says that she doesn't have anything worth looting she's like oh how rude of me because even on her deathbed Aaron is gonna snark yes Dargo shows up and tells Rigel he needs to go to command and be in command basically just to get him out of the room which Aaron is thankful for she tells him if a warrior can't die in battle, at least she can die alone, which is dark. Super dark. Super dark. So back on the gamut base, Chiana is having a drink with the security guard to get more information, loosen him up, mm. have sex with people who we might need in the future. Yeah. And then the head of the gamut base is like, aren't you on duty? And she's like, yeah, this is what on duty looks like for me. (laughs) He means it to the security guard, though. The security Uh, guard's like, oh, yeah, I guess I better go. Look at that door. It's his job. He has one job. (laughs) Stopping people from going through a door. Back on Moya, Dargo goes to Zan to try to figure out if there is not some way they can save Aaron. Why don't they just shove a bunch of pilot's organs into her? She's part pilot now. That's not too far from what they do. No, Zan tells him that the the nerve that was punctured is the nerve that filters toxins for sebations. So isn't that more of an organ than a nerve? Yeah, but... Then it wouldn't work with the title of the episode? Yeah, then then the title wouldn't wouldn't refer both to Aaron's illness and John's bluff. Hmm. Yeah. So it's a very short scene. Well, we're going to be going back and forth from that to, you know, Chiana talking to, I, I said the head of this gamic base, but it's Scorpius's gamic base, so I think he's like the second in command. Yeah, he's the, uh, who's that dude from Star Wars, Grand Marf Tarkin? Sure. Yeah. You know that guy who's like kind of Vader's boss, but under the Emperor? Yeah, the, yeah. Grand Marf Tarkin. And they CGI brought him back from the dead for Rogue One, which was just a giant waste of money. And also creepy beyond all doubt. Yeah, let's not even get into that. But this guy's plan is to uh, hire Chiana away from John. That's his plan, because she's a sexy cat lady. Yeah, he wants to hire her for sex things. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, I don't know. What's your benefits package look like? And he's like, I'll show you my benefits package. Oh, my God. Uh, so in uh, 
In Jelena's office slash wet bar, Jelena returns and she has the tissue for John. He's like, you found a donor so quickly? And she's like, um, this is the future? I'm sorry, this is space? I just synthesized it. And luckily for you, it's in one of these future space syringes because... If the graft involved cutting Aaron open and grafting it on, even Xan, I doubt, could do that. But it's just in a syringe, so you just have to stick it in her and hit the red button. Good thing. It's so easy, someone writing a Geico commercial could do it. Jelena kisses John, and he's like, Ooh, there's some weird sexual tension between us, but I better go save Aaron's life. And that's super awkward, because you did this because you're in love with me, but I have to... Take it to the woman I'm in love with and go save her life. Sorry. God, everyone's so thirsty for John in this episode. Yeah. It's like, okay, so Jelena is Betty. Uh, Chiana is Veronica. And uh, Aaron is Cheryl Blossom. No, no, Chiana's Cheryl Blossom. Chiana's Cheryl Blossom. And Aaron's Veronica, I guess. Yeah. But uh, tracks hair color wise, except for Chiana. Yeah. The blonde, the brunette, and the other one. The blonde, the brunette, and the sexually liberated one. Mm. I can't believe Cheryl Blossom's uh, comic got canceled because she was too sexual. I mean, she's literally based on a porn comic. She started off as a satire of a porn comic. Mm. Point. Dan DiCarlo drew some pretty dirty stuff in his off hours, which, you know... There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just he's mostly known for drawing teenagers, so it is a little weird. Mm, yeah. But also, all of his characters are, you know, simplified to the point of it being, you know. Yeah. It... What is really the difference between Betty, Veronica, and, say, Mrs. Lodge? Mrs. Lodge has gray hair. Yeah. No, that's... I Remember that Halloween when we dressed as... um. Jughead and Betty. Yeah. Except then, halfway through the night, I got bored of being Betty, and I literally did nothing except switch out from my blonde wig to my black wig to be Veronica. Yeah. Which is partially a meta comment on the way that those girls are interchangeable except for their hair color, and partially just me being bored and wanting to switch out my wigs. Yeah. I mean, there are literally Archie comics plots where Betty and Veronica change places just by wigs. Like, it's a thing in-universe, and it's also supposed to, you know, draw into sharp relief, you know, how dumb it is that Archie has difficulty choosing between Betty and Veronica. Wait, I mean, doesn't it make sense that he has difficulty since they're interchangeable? Well, yeah, I mean, the only thing that makes them different is their personalities, which I guess being rich is part of Veronica's personality, because Veronica's kind of an awful person, but she's rich. The thing is, like, it, it's the fact that she's supposed to be like, oh my god, she's so much more beautiful than Betty. But they're the exact same character. I mean, they're not. Veronica's mean. I mean, visually, they're the exact oh. same character. So being like, oh, Veronica's so much more, you know, va-va-voom than Betty. It's like, they're the same person. Well, I mean, it's like in Beauty and the Beast, right? Those triplets who sing to Gaston all also look exactly like Belle. Yeah. You know, in town there's only she who's beautiful as me, except for those three girls that her that are her exact character model but blonde. And there's three of them. And there's three of them. Are with 
God, I want to find that article. Do you remember? Did you show me that? It was from The Toast, The Late Lamented The Toast, which is the sequel that the triplets from Beauty and the Beast deserve. Yes, it's, are, are, are we, are we triplets? Are we clones? It's not clear. So John has the cure for Aaron. He's walking through the gamut base, and it turns out Jelena was right to tell him not to just go strolling casually through the gamut base because he is instantly stopped by Scorpius, who's like, oh, hey, I'm part Scarin, and I'm looking at this guy, and guess what? He's not Sebation, so he's probably not Larocque. It's pretty interesting because John's like, so, it's sort of weird that a non-Sebation is in charge of a Sebation base, huh? And Scorpius is like, actually, I'm half Sebation, but you're not Sebation at all. Time to strap you into the worst chair ever. They jump him and knock him out, Scorpius and all of the guards. Jump him and knock him out, and I love, John has the presence of mind to stash the tissue sample. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. He wakes up in the Aurora chair, which is, uh, not good. It's not fun. It's not good. It's this, like, spinny chair, and, uh, it spins around, and it sucks out John's memories. Yeah, it sure does suck. Aww. But, yes, it, and we get a real Snape, a legamency isn't mind-reading speech, where he's like, you know, it just takes fragments of your memory, and we use the machine to weave them into a cohesive picture. It's not mind-reading, except it is in basically every way that counts. I was thinking this is more like Princess Bride, where he's like, I have sucked out one hour of your life. And, and that actually is an issue with the Aurora chair. Scorpius wants to pull information out of John, but the problem is that if he pulls it out too hard, he'll kill John before he gets the information. So it's really, it's really a... A skill, you know? It's not brute force. It, it requires some finesse. Again, legolamency. Like, you can go into someone's mind all willy-nilly, but if you're not talented at it, you're not going to get squat. Yes. Scorpius is convinced that John is some sort of spy, so he wants to know, of course, what he's there for, what he's spying on. And every time he flips him through the chair, we get flashes of various things that have happened throughout the series, which I think is cool. Yeah. One of the things he sees is Moya, and Scorpius is smart enough to put this together. He sees Moya, and he goes, oh, a Leviathan. There was a report of an escaped Leviathan prison ship in the Uncharted Territories. I bet that's you. I bet you are on that ship somehow. I'm getting from point A to point B very quickly, because a lot is going on in this episode. Yeah, no, it's funny. For all of the episodes that you were right really had, like, 30 minutes of plot across 40 minutes of episode... This one's got, like, an hour of plot in 40 minutes. Mm. And it's only part one. Yeah. I should have mentioned, I, I meant to mention at the top, that we're in endgame for this season now. From We've got three, we've got three more episodes. Uh, this one, and then two more. But they're all gonna build on each other, and this is all, we're, we're in the finale of the season now. It's basically a mini-movie. It's basically a mini-movie, yeah. Back on Moya... Zan has taken Dargo's suggestion that they find something to do to help Aaron and has strapped her onto Moya. So Moya's filtration system is filtering Aaron's toxins now, which she can safely do because Aaron is a teeny teeny ant compared to the size of Moya. Yeah, which fair. I do like that there's concern for Moya and her baby in this. 
Yeah. Where Aaron's like, this isn't going to hurt Moya or the baby, right? And Zen's like, no, you're like a flea to them. But I, I like, too, that that's, that's a significant question when you are pregnant, when humans are pregnant. Things that the human immune system could just dismiss easily are more difficult for the fetus to dismiss. That's why there's such a fear of listeria, which is something that could be anywhere. And humans, adult humans, can just kind of pass it without much issue, but it's very, very bad for the fetus. But Xan assures her, no, even compared to the fetus, you are teeny tiny. Hmm. Not to worry. The fetus is like the size of three Empire State buildings, and you are... Much smaller than that. Yes. You never really get the scale of Moya from inside Moya. It's true. It's kind of an issue. I mean, I get it. They They have have a limited budget. Yeah. Back in the Gamic base, Jelena and Chiana are in her room trying to use the system to identify where John is. And Jelena is worried, amongst other things... That John is going to give her away, right? That John is going to tell them that she's the spy who's been helping him, which will be very, very bad for her. Yes. Jelena's getting kind of the opposite thing that Chiana and John are getting, where, you know, her her moral is don't have sex with anyone, or alternatively, don't do favors for people you've had sex with. That is the lesson that she could have learned from this episode. It's true. I'm guessing she doesn't from the way you said that. So... Grandma Tarkin comes to Scorpius and lets him know that he looked into the Leviathan and the Leviathan had a Luxon, a Delvian, and a Hynerian, so I don't know what this Sebation-looking dude is doing, but... Or this gray-ass cat lady. Or this gray-ass cat lady! I mean, is it that unreasonable to think that the Leviathan may have changed hands? I mean, I know they've seen the brain pictures of the Delvian and the other thingies, but... Uh, no, you're right. It's not unreasonable to think that the prisoners who escaped on it would have ditched it. Yeah. But instead, what they see is essentially the plot line with Crace. And now that we've been going through season one, I realize essentially every scene that Crace has been in this season. Yeah. In like 30 seconds. And Scorpius, because... Look, he's been here the whole time. He's just been... Off screen. Uh, Well, Scorpius, because they have so much plot to get through, puts it all together really quickly. He's like, oh, I get it. He's been following you on some sort of space chase. Yeah. God, I'm so glad they didn't go with space chase for the name of this series. Mm. That would have been a terrible, terrible name. But Scorpius puts it together. Oh, you killed Bylar's Crace's brother. He has sworn revenge. That's... He killed the worst pilot in the Peacekeeper army. Yeah. The reason that he hasn't responded to any Peacekeeper transmissions is not because he's not receiving them, but because he's gone rogue to track you down. So, uh, we should call him. We should call him and tell him that you're here. And then we go back to Jelena's office. And she's gonna take Chiana with her on her recon mission. Which means that she has to disguise Chiana as a peacekeeper. And boy, <laughs> howdy, does she, uh... Oh. I thought this was going to be one of those things where we see the actress out of, you know, the makeup. And it's like a kind of winky thing to the audience. But no, they went a different direction. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I mean, this is meant to be a joke, right? We just see the back of Chiana's head and it's black. She's in like a black wig. 
And Jelena's like, oh, I bet even John wouldn't recognize you now. And then Chiana turns around and it's just Chiana. In a black wig. In a black wig. It's it's literally what we were talking about before. She still looks like Chiana just because she's wearing a black wig. She's clearly not Sebation. She's still got the gray skin. She's still got the weird eyes. She's still got the super black lipstick, which does look amazing. But but not like a Sebation. Oh. Oh. So... John is still having a very, very compressed clip show. Yeah. In the worst chair ever. The Aurora chair. Yes. I do like how, because this is a thing for every show ever, no matter what the genre is, there's like a single fan in the room. Just a giant. A giant fan. Yeah. Yeah, remember in season seven of Once Upon a Time, which we've brought up earlier in this episode. Yeah, Gothel's Tower. Was a giant fan room. Yeah. Of course, it made more sense there because there was, I guess there are probably servers in this room too. Like computer servers, not a... Yeah. Yeah. Although it's it's space, I feel like they should have better means of cooling their servers than giant fans, but... Yeah. Now what are you going to do? So, this time through on the chair, we get John's origin, right? We see him going into space, going through the wormhole... And Scorpius's partner, who, by the way, is a Sebation, who I feel like is just because she's his right-hand man, is trying to match his aesthetic. Like, no other Sebations dress like this or have these ridiculous bright red wigs, but she's she like... She looks like a Venture Brothers character. She she actually looks like Molotov Cocktees. She she legit 100% looks like Molotov cocktails, but she has to match his aesthetic. And you know what? I respect that. I respect the hell out of that. Mm. Is she like a character later or? Uh, we don't really learn anything about her, but she's she's just Scorpius's right hand man. Is this just a thing with Farscape villains? Because Kreis also had that like super loyal female assistant and he was like, you're the only one I can trust, and that's why you have to die, and he snapped her neck. I feel like it was j- it's just these two. I can't think of any other examples of it. And we do meet we do meet more villains. I might be wrong, but I think it's just these two. Is it just a sebation thing or rather peacekeeper thing? Oh yeah, maybe it's just a peacekeeper thing. Like when you're when you're a peacekeeper, like you automatically get paired with a number 2 whose entire job is to follow you around and match your aesthetic and do the things that you tell them to do like Yeah, that's that's what happens. That's what happens when you're a high enough ranking peacekeeper. I've decided. We're getting little flashes of the weird space cricket episode. A human reaction. A human reaction. Except Whoa, those aren't the memories of how that scene went down. Yeah, it turns out that they gave John wormhole knowledge. They told him how to make wormholes. But they also told him that if he wasn't smart enough to figure it out on his own, he should not have it. He's not responsible enough to have it if he's not smart enough to figure it out. Then why give him that knowledge in the first place? So it's going to stay in his subconscious and subconsciously guide him to the right answer. It's going to make him follow the right train of thought in his research. 
That's their plan. And their plan is that it's never going to get uncovered in a giant Aurora torture chair by an evil S&M alien, which really is just lack of planning on their part. I mean, I guess it tracks that they wouldn't see it coming. No, it really does. It's not the sort of thing you think of as, you know, might be an issue. Yeah. We learn that this base... The whole point of this base is to research wormholes and try to create them, which is a super coincidence. And I know you said John doesn't get high, but he goes into hysterics laughing at how wild that coincidence is. I feel like that almost counts. It is a really big coincidence. Like, hey, this is the one peacekeeper, or this is one of the peacekeeper bases that's dedicated to trying to find out about wormholes, and they happen to have the one guy with secret wormhole technology you know just falls right into their lap you know this is really convenient for scorpius like that's a freebie like imagine that imagine it from scorpius's point of view he can't possibly think anything other than john was specifically coming here to steal wormhole technology because the idea that this would be a coincidence is unbelievable uh, now, they can't pull out the equations because they're locked behind all of the neuronets that the aliens put there. But they're gonna keep trying. I wonder if Zan could do, like, a backdoor thing, you know, since she's inside John brain-wise. That's a good question. I don't know. Unity is... Unity is such a, like, opening up of yourself kind of thing. I don't know if you could get past people's neural blocks i feel like it's going to be hard when you're sharing unity to get past a block that a person is purposefully putting up let alone one that they can't even control because it's like reinforced by strong-minded aliens hmm. but that is a good question that would have that would be an interesting road to go down zan trying I'm to pull it out they don't no i would get a different thing so john's gonna rest up and they're gonna throw him in a cell and this is where he meets replacement pirate from who was the best character with the really unfortunate joke at the end of the episode i don't remember that character's uh, name yeah well this character's name is stark this is stark it's kind of a supergirl situation where they they did an issue of uh, jimmy olsen's comic where he wished that there was a female superman as sort of a test thing to see if readers would respond to a character who was a female superman yeah so like jimmy olsen wished for one and you know she showed up and then she dies at the end of the issue and they're like would you be interested in seeing a female superman you know right in and people did so they gave supergirl you know yes uh stark is stark is an interesting character i actually really love stark and we will uh, get into him i'm gonna throw this out about stark specifically because Specifically for our, our listeners who are following along with the fact that this show is a D&D campaign. Mm-hmm. At this point, Stark is an NPC. He shows up and he gives exposition as to what is going on. And also, he's a little silly. Specifically because he has been in the Aurora chair so many times that it has just broken his brain. His brain is broken. So when John gets thrown in the cell... Stark is there to yell at him, but also kind of yell exposition about the chair at him. Yes. At some point, he's going to stop yelling exposition, 
a different character is going to leave the show and you can feel at that moment he he gets promoted from NPC to PC. And not just any PC, but a PC who is now being played by the character who left. Hmm. Like, you can kind of feel his character shift just enough that you're like, Oh! The person who was playing Redacted, who has left the show, is now playing Stark. It basically has to be either Rigel or Dargo. I'm assuming probably Rigel, right to guess, but all right, keep your secrets. I won't look into it. It'll come as a pleasant surprise when Rigel gets shot into, you know, frog space or whatever. Stark's aesthetic, by the way, is a giant metal uh, Phantom of the Opera half mask. Okay. It happens, I suppose. Well, I mean, he needs it because it's, it's, it's holding in the sun that the other half of his face is. Okay. Yeah. It's a real Zorn situation, huh? Yes. X-Men. From X-Men. Oh, God. They, you know, they could have just let that concept die. You know, they revisited the whole Zorn thing even after it turned out to be Magneto. They're like, oh, no. It turns out that Magneto was actually impersonating someone who has that exact power set and aesthetic. And... Then later, when they're like, okay, we can't have a Magneto who, you know, destroyed half of New York. It turned out that that was the real Zorn's brother pretending to be Magneto, pretending to be Zorn. And it got to the point where everyone's like, okay, can we just not do Zorn stuff anymore? No one cares about Zorn. (laughs) No one likes Zorn! Anyway, uh, John realizes when he sees how messed up Stark is and knows that that was because of the chair that he is in trouble. Yes, because they did not get all the information they wanted out of him. Yep, they're going to put him in the chair several more times. They're going to wait until his refractory period's over and then go right back to town on his brain. Yes. Back on Moya, Aaron's system is being filtered by the ship. Hmm. And earlier... When Aaron was praising this this plan, Zan took credit for it because Dargo gave her, like, a look. Mm. And now that Aaron is asleep, Zan wants to know why Dargo didn't want Aaron to know that he was the one who came up with the plan. And he tells Zan that he feels a little guilty that he's not honoring Aaron's stated wish that she be allowed to just die alone. And I just love this moment. He says, uh... Zan says, I don't believe she wants to die. And Dargo says, I don't even believe she wants to die alone. Because they have all become a family now. Like, they they are no longer just escaped prisoners who are there out of necessity. They genuinely care about each other. Dargo cares whether this peacekeeper lives or dies. And Aaron... A warrior who was raised with a specific code and to have specific feelings about what it is to die doesn't want to die alone. She wants to be with this newfound family. Also, as we mentioned at the top of the show, this this plan isn't going to keep her going for long because Moya starts having contractions. Mm. She's in more labor than she was before. Yeah. Yes. Having recently gone through this myself, I know you said it like it's ridiculous, but that is definitely how it felt. Yes. Point. <laughs> I mean, I didn't birth a ship. I birthed, I birthed a human baby. Not Talon. Not what? Oh, Talon is the name of the ship that's going to get born. Ah. 
So back on the Gamak base, Jelena and Master of Disguise Chiata are, uh, are walking down the corridors. But it turns out, super helpful, nobody looks at Tex. Jelena is uh, trying to figure out where John is. Like, she could do a lot from her little office slash wet bar, but not that. So they're out in public now, trying not to get noticed. Also, Crace has arrived at the Gamak base. Uh-oh. Yeah. Look who remembered he was in the show. Crace <laughs> is like, you must hand John over to me. I have orders. And Scorpius is like, <laughs> yeah, your adherence to orders is selective. Crace mm. is like, I didn't get the call. I, they must have, uh, must have, there must be a problem with my email. I didn't get it. And Scorpius is like, I don't care. Dude, I really don't care. This is, like, so beneath what I care about. <laughs> you. It's weird that Scorpius rose to such a high rank considering, you know, Sebastian's thoughts on crossbreeding. That will absolutely 100% be a plot. Mm. Yeah. Good, good. Well, well spotted. Well spotted. But Scorpius is like, oh, I have John in my, you know, psychic torture chair. You want to see him? <laughs> He says that he needs Crace to, like, convince John to give in to the chair so that they can get the information before they kill him. Because Crace knows John better than anyone because of all of the time they spent together. Really feels like they're trying to build off something the show did not set up. Maybe you could have cut the Robinson Crusoe episode and just, you know, develop their relationship a little more. I never had this issue, but I usually don't rewatch season one. But yeah, we could have done with a few more Crace chasing John episodes. We could have done with a little more chase in this space chase. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Meanwhile, in, uh, in the bowels of the base... Jelena has discovered the cell that John is being kept in and has also figured out a way to hack into the cell. So John is like alone in his cell being all like thinking about how he's about to be tortured. And over the loudspeaker, Jelena's like, hey, I've hacked into the speaker. So just don't look at the speaker, but talk to me and I can hear you. Well done, John's dick. In, in choosing Jelena to, to hook up with? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He he tells them where he stashed the tissue sample, and he tells Chiana to get it and get it back to Aaron right away to, to save her. Jelena's all, like, ready to mount a rescue operation, and John's like, don't worry about me, just get the tissue sample to Aaron and save her life. Aaron's the only important one here, and Jelena's like, really? Really? Yup. Yup. Yep. Then Crace comes into the cell, and again, John has a hysterical moment where he's like, Of course! Of course Crace is here now! And, um, I, I really like, I really like Chiana's emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. Jelena's like, wow, so he really does love Aaron, huh? He really does want to save her. And Chiana's like, no! He loves you! That's why he wants to stay here! He doesn't want to escape until he can escape with you. Hmm. That's, well, good spinning that, Chiana. I mean, Jelena does not buy it, but I I think she, like me, appreciates the, uh, the attempt. Hmm. Yeah. 
But back in the cell, Crace is like, Hey, John, you better give in to the chair because I've captured Moya. I captured Moya and I have all your crewmates and if you don't give in to the chair, I'm going to kill them. And John's like, really? How are they doing? And Crace is like, they're all fine for now. And John's like, okay, dude, yeah. Like, like Aaron's not dying right now. No, I love this. John's like, so they're all in perfect health? And Crace doesn't even pick up on it. He's like, for now. Sir, Crace is bad at his job. I'm assuming there's a long line of incompetence that led to him being captain of a ship. Yeah, I'm sure. Because, like, seriously, dude, you don't think that maybe they lost someone along the way or someone's, I don't know, missing a face or something? Like, there's lots of stuff that could have gone wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you already know... Or at least if you allowed the people on the gamut base to brief you, which I get the sense he did not, you would already know that there's at least one extra crew member that they've picked up. So you would know that there could be any number of differences going on on that ship right now. But this comes back to... This comes back to... Scorpius saying, you know John better than anyone, when no, he does not. Absolutely not. He doesn't even know how many people are on Moira right now. Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of one-shot episode characters who know John better than... Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, mean, I guess they're not characters he has access to, but... Yeah, I was gonna say, he might be he might be the active peacekeeper who knows... No, that's Jelena! But they don't know about Jelena. Yeah. Other than Jelena, he's probably the active peacekeeper who knows John the best. And, and they don't know that, that John... Uh, has a has an actual ongoing romantic relationship with an active peacekeeper. Mm. Speaking of Jelena. Yes. She's going to basically black out just like a tiny corridor of the ship's sensors so that Chiana can get on the prowler and escape. And again, I love this. Chiana's like, how will I know if it works? And Jelena's like, you, you won't die. <laughs> if you don't get shot out of the sky, it worked. There you go. <laughs> yep. So John's like, okay, put me in the chair because it's the only way to save my friends, I guess. Even though, you know, obviously he knows what's up. And terrible wig lady turns on the chair. I guess it's only terrible if you're assuming it's not. If you're if you're assuming it's supposed to look like real hair, it's terrible. If it's like a wig she's wearing for wig aesthetics, then it's fine. Yeah, no, I mean, it's definitely for aesthetics. Chiana manages to find the tissue sample that John has stashed, bluff her way past the one guard she encounters, and get on the prowler. You know, we never established that Chiana knows how to drive a prowler, but I guess she does. That's handy. I mean, that's that's like Aaron's thing, right? Aaron's like a, a pilot, but... Oh, well, I'm not going to worry about that. Whatever. <laughs> I, I, I guess she... I guess there's probably a difference between, like, flying in combat conditions and, like, putting your foot on the accelerator and shooting in a straight line. I'm sure it's like that one time I drove a U-Haul. Like, I'm not a truck driver, but I managed to drive a U-Haul for a short distance with nary an issue. It was not my favorite thing. I don't ever want to do it again, but I did it that one time. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Uh... Jelena fakes a, a Jelena fakes a reactor overload so that everyone evacuates the hangar so that Chiana has a escape a, a, yeah, a, like a clear a clear path a yeah. clear path to the prowler. 
and but she is caught by general wants to have sex with her grand moff tarkin and again I, only because they don't look at text does does this even have a se- <clears throat> yeah the only reason that it takes the very short period of time it does is because they ignore text and he like he does a double take and he's like oh wait that invisible person with the you know gray face is clearly that sexy cat i wanted to have sex with also she does the like weird sexy cat movement like she's she's not walking like a peacekeeper she's you know for a rogue i feel like she should be able to imitate the way other people walk when she's trying to disguise herself as them but they fight she kicks open a gas main and then improvises a flamethrower you know to flamethrower him to death it's graphic y'all it is we see his charred skeleton after she flamethrowers him with the improvised flamethrower don't worry there'll be a really creepy cgi recreation of him like 30 years after this (laughs) that's a that's a star wars reference that's not he's not actually coming back he's 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 definitely dead but speaking of people who are not definitely dead on Moya, Zan injects the tissue sample into Aaron, who recovers, and is like, Yay, I'm recovered. Where's John? He's still in the worst chair ever. Womp womp. End of episode. Well, I mean, they, they actually tell her, they're like, you'll see John later, because she's obviously still not in a good spot. Hmm. Dargo repeats what she said to him when uh, after she beat him until the, the blood run clear in, in uh, Throne for a Loss. Dargo says, uh, you will die, but not today. And she also says that Chiana's disguise is terrible. It's a terrible disguise. Yep. <laughs> and and Dargo takes her hand in what I think is really touching. I, I think it's really touching the way Dargo takes her hand and then she falls back asleep because, you know, she's still messed up. She's, she's not going to die, but she's still pretty messed up. And as you said, back on the gamut base... John is still in the chair, and Scorpius realizes that... It's going to be a two-parter. That it's going to be... Yeah, Scorpius realizes that this is going to be a multi-part episode because they are out of time, and he knows that someone on the gamut base is helping John, but he does not know who. So he's going to spin that chair around again until he figures out who the traitor is. Credits! Freeze frame on Ben Browder yelling. Oh, yeah. Freeze frame on Ben Browder, Ben Browdering up a super pained face. So we're going to pick back up next week with the episode The Hidden Memory. And the plot description of that is, after a partial recovery, Aaron leads Zan and Dargo to the Gamak base to rescue Crichton. At the base, Jelena does her best to help Crichton, who is being repeatedly subjected to the Aurora chair by Scorpius and Crace. Elsewhere, Chiana and Rigel have problems of their own when the pregnant Moya goes into labor. I guess that'll about do it, though. Yeah, I think that's going to do it for us for this week. Our show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of our supporters, you should head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, Javier, and Benjamin. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode or any episode or any episode of any television show, you should head over to our Facebook page, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at 
I love TV zines on Twitter or at I love television zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. Mm-hmm.